the evidence is so strong um, because of how the disciples lived their lives and they were willing to die for what they believed happened. Now, the, the atheist scholars won't say that it actually happened, right? Mm-hmm. But they will say that the disciples believed it happened. So the question for us becomes, well, what led the disciples to believe that it happened, right? Yeah. Well, what they say is that it did happen. Welcome to the Know Why Podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. For many of us, it's not enough to know what people say about life's most important questions. We also want to know why. Each week, Know Why tackles tough questions on topics ranging from spirituality to current events. While we approach these issues from a Christian perspective, we discuss diverse opinions and ultimately dive into what the research says. Are you ready to know why? Let's get started. Welcome to the Know Why Podcast. Here's part two of our interview with Robbie Lashua. Okay, let's say, all right, we can trust that we've got um, an accurate, you know, version or copy of the New Testament in our Bibles today. And mm-hmm. the, you know, it was written down by people who they, you know, were telling the truth or what they believed to be the truth. But I think a lot of people get hung up on, all right, there's a lot of like supernatural events um, mentioned, you know, miraculous things. But the big thing, the biggest miracle of them all is the resurrection. But Christians believe Jesus actually died and then came back to life. So mm-hmm. is there, how can there even be evidence for the resurrection? And is there any? Yeah, there's a ton of evidence for the resurrection. Um, and this is what I think is amazing because I think if Christians study any apologetics, they should study the resurrection. Um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the gospel, and everything about our faith hinges on it. Uh, if Jesus died and rose from the dead, Christianity's true. If he didn't, then Christianity's stupid, and we're all wasting our time. And that's not my opinion. That's Paul's opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Paul says that in First Corinthians. He says, if, if, if we believe in Jesus in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so... Um, Everything about our faith hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And so there's a ton of evidence, tons of evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. So much so that when historians, non-Christian historians study this, they admit to four or five historical facts that happened um, surrounding the life of Jesus. So um, they will say, yeah, for sure, Jesus died of Roman crucifixion. And the reason they say that is because there's so much evidence to it, not just within the New Testament, but with outside sources, with non-Christian sources from the time that claim that that's what happened to him. Uh, They will say that um, his disciples believed he rose again and appeared to them. Um, And and the reason they say these types of things is because the evidence is so strong um, because of how the disciples lived their lives and they were willing to die for what they believed happened. Now, the the atheist scholars won't say that it actually happened, right? Mm -hmm. But they will say that the disciples believed it happened. So the question for us becomes, well, what led the disciples to believe that it happened, right? Well, what they say is that it did happen. That's that's their claim. Mm -hmm. Um, I love this. I I, want to read this quote to you. This is so good. This is from Paula Fredrickson. She's a feminist atheist scholar from Boston University. And she says, uh, she's talking about the disciples. She says, I know in their own terms, what they saw was the raised Jesus. That's what they say. And then all historical evidence we have afterwards attests to their conviction that that's what they saw. 
I'm not saying that they really did see the raised Jesus. I wasn't there. I don't know what they saw. But I do know that as a historian, they must have seen something. Mm. And that's from an atheist. I mean, so so again, the the historical evidence that these 12 guys turned the world upside down based on the belief Jesus rose again and they wanted to tell everybody about it. Um, So we have, you know, he rose from the dead. His, his disciples went out, but then you have these weird, I think, kind of, kind of crazy things happening. Cause if, you know, if a cult leader rose up and then after he died, his friends kept following that cult, I could see that happening, right? That still happens today. Yeah. But when you have like an enemy change sides and become a part of the cult after the cult member died, that's pretty weird. But that's exactly what we have with the Apostle Paul, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he hates Christians. He's killing them. He's a Jew of Jews. He's all about Judaism. He's prestigious. He's popular. He's powerful. And then he throws it all away to join this cult that he hated. And his claim is because Jesus showed up to him. Yeah. Um, So so that's weird. And this is what's so fascinating. All historians, because even, you know, in the New Testament— Historians believe Paul wrote seven letters of the New Testament that we believe he wrote. Now, I think he wrote all 13 letters in there, but they believe he at least wrote seven of these. So they believe he's a historical person. They believe that he lived. They believe that he converted, but they don't understand why he converted. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But everything he says in Galatians and then three times in Acts, Paul's conversion story is, is talked about, right? It's talked about in the historical uh, narrative, but then twice in his personal testimony, when he's given his testimony to people, he recounts that Jesus showed up to him. Um, so that that's an odd one, right? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead and show up to people, why did Paul convert? Very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the the one I think is the most powerful is about Jesus's family, because you can trick your friends into stuff, right? Three and a half years, I could trick some people <laughs> mm-hmm. that I'm a certain person. I mean, you know, maybe I couldn't, but some people can. Yeah. Um, but you can't trick your family <clears throat> because right. they see you growing up. And, and this, this is the craziest thing to me. Um, in, in John 7, 1 through 5, it, it, it's a story about how um, Jesus' brothers come to him and tell him to go to um, Judea because the, um, the chief priest, they were trying to kill Jesus. So they're basically telling them to go over there. You know, don't do your miracles in secret. If you want to be known publicly, go show yourself to the world. And then it says this in, in John 7, 5, for not even his brothers were believing in him. Hmm. So before Jesus died, none of his brothers believed he was the Messiah. None of them followed him. None of them were the, part of the disciples, right? Yeah. Um, and Jesus knew that he was without honor with them because he says that in Mark, right? A prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Yeah. So Jesus' brothers don't believe in him. You know, and I guess you, we would have to say these are his half-brothers, right? They're mm-hmm. Joseph and Mary's kids. Mm-hmm. But then what's crazy is after Jesus dies, all of a sudden, his, his um, brother James, who was the second oldest in the family, he becomes a faithful father of Jesus. He becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. He writes the book of James. And eventually he gets killed for his belief that his brother is God. Wow. So the question becomes this, Liberty, how can you convince your siblings that you're God? <laughs> uh, yeah. 
that would be pretty hard. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking about this. Like, okay, so now this gets weird. Let's say I have a brother and a sister and they're both still living. Mm-hmm. But let's say my brother died. And then three days later, he rose from the dead and appeared to me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what's crazy? I still wouldn't believe he was God. Mm-hmm. Right? And the reason is because I know him. And I know all the bad stuff we did when we were kids. Yeah. Like he's not God. He's not holy, 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 right? So the fact that Jesus brothers, James and, and Jude, who writes the book of Jude, they believe that Jesus was God also means that they knew he was sinless. Mm-hmm. And who could know that better than your siblings, right? Because you right. hide stuff from your mom and dad growing up, but your siblings know all the bad stuff you're doing. Yeah. James and Jude, I mean, it's fascinating. They, so if you just had a brother that was perfect, that never covered for you or lied for you when you were late or whatever, you'd hate that guy. Like, you know, he, mm-hmm. he thought he was better than everybody else. Your mom's always saying, hey, why don't you be more like Jesus? Um, but then if that same guy rose from the dead, those two things in conjunction, I think would be enough to convince you that your sibling's God and to, to die for that belief. And so the fact that, that Jesus' brothers um, died for their faith, uh, I think is huge evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and was sinless, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is, that is so cool. I never considered like the sibling aspect before, but um, many of his 12 disciples, if not all, um, I can't remember exactly how many were martyred. And so they mm-hmm. took that belief in his resurrection uh, all the way to brutal deaths. Um, yep. So again, you know, that's like, why would they do that if it was, if they're making the story up? Um, it's true. Well, and, and, and one other, real quick, one other huge evidence, I think, of the resurrection is, is the empty tomb. And so this, this, people don't talk about this one enough, I think. So um, the disciples were claiming from the very beginning of, of Christianity that Jesus rose from the dead. And they were proclaiming this in the same town that Jesus was killed and buried in. So this is crazy to me. Like if, if you know, I, I live in Phoenix. So if I say like the, you know, the Arizona Cardinals, um, you know, football stadium, exploded last night and there's just a crater there. And I try to start a cult based on that belief. Maybe some people would believe me because they think I'm trustworthy, but eventually they're going to drive past that, that place and see that, no, the stadium's still there. Robbie's a liar, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that the disciples were claiming the tomb was empty in the same town where people could go verify whether it was empty or not proves that it was empty. Because Christianity could have never started if the tomb was occupied in that town, right? Now, maybe they could have gone to India and tricked people, but you couldn't do it in that town. And so the empty tomb um, has to be true for them to have started Christianity and convinced so many Jewish people in that town to follow Christ. The other thing is this, too. An empty tomb by itself wouldn't convince anybody that a resurrection happened because, you know, grave robbery. Like if I saw an empty tomb today, I wouldn't assume resurrection. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you had appearances of Jesus to, you know, his disciples multiple times, you had appearances of Jesus to 500 people at once, which is what first Corinthians 15 tells us. Um, And you had appearances to your brothers and to all, and to to Paul over a 40 day period. Um, Appearances, 
partnered with in conjunction with an empty tomb would lead people to believe in resurrection. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So, so fascinating to think about, but you mentioned one of them, you know, I know that people come up with these excuses to say, okay, well, maybe um, this can be explained. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like what if everybody was hallucinating or what if Jesus actually doesn't really all the way dead. Um, and so mm-hmm. can you kind of talk about some of those um, and, and why, what, what's your answer to those kinds of questions? Yeah. So, so one of the most popular that's still kind of discussed in academic circles today, one of the, they're, they're called alternative hypothesis, right. Mm-hmm. To the resurrection, uh, a naturalistic hypothesis is the hallucination theory. And the hallucination theory goes, you know, that, that everybody who saw his disciples, they were grieving so much. And we know when people are grieving that they hallucinate. And so they were grieving. And so um, in their grief, they hallucinated that Jesus rose from the dead, but he actually didn't. Um, there's so many problems with this. Uh, number one, if, if you study people who hallucinate in our culture, and again, 2000 years ago, it might've been different. But what we have to study today is that um, typically it's women who hallucinate. Uh, typically it's after they've lost a loved one, like a spouse, but you also have to have a hallucination prone personality, which about 15% of the population does. Mm. Um, and so when you start going through that list, you look at the disciples and you say they weren't old, they weren't women, and they had a bunch of different kind of personalities, but you're trying to tell me a hundred percent of them hallucinated at the same moment, the same things about Jesus. Yeah. The problem with that is that group hallucinations are impossible. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't happen. Just like you can't join me in a dream of mine, right? Right. Because a dream is going on inside of my mind. It's not something that's external in the real world. And that's what a hallucination is by definition. It's something that's going on internally that's not happening in the real world. So you can't link up hallucinations. It's never been observed. And um, it's an impossibility. Um, the other thing with hallucinations is that even if that happened, that doesn't account for the empty tomb. Yeah. It, that, that, that's, that's a whole different problem. Um, it doesn't account at all for Paul because he wasn't bereaving Jesus' death. He, was, he, yeah. he didn't like Christians. He was killing Christians. So it doesn't answer the Paul conversion problem. It doesn't answer why Jesus' brothers converted. And so you're kind of answering halfway one of these facts of history. So it's not even an all-encompassing um, uh, hypothesis, mm-hmm. um, and it's an impossibility. So, but honestly, Liberty, that's the best one on the market today, the one that people <laughs> still think has some traction, which I just think it's, it's, uh, it's kind of laughable. Um, a, cu- a couple others, you know, there's the swoon theory that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just fainted. And they took him off while he was still alive. And then um, being in a cold, dark tomb for three days revived him. Um, And this one is just so silly when you study crucifixion and you study scourging and all that Jesus went through. The fact that, uh, you know, Roman soldiers would be punished with the punishment of a criminal that they let out. So if a criminal escaped jail, the Roman, you know, soldier has to serve the jail sentence. So if you were supposed to execute a guy, um, and you didn't, you would be executed. Yeah. So, I mean... They were motivated no, to to kill. Very motivated. There's no way Jesus got off the cross alive. And and then even if he did, 
Okay, so he wakes up, he unwraps himself, he rolls away the stone, he fights off the guards. Let's just pretend he does all that. Mm -hmm. He walks a couple miles to where his disciples are. Let's just pretend he can do that. This is the crazy part that I can't get my mind around. He knocks on the door, they open the door, and then he says, I've been resurrected from the dead. With blood all over him and bruising, right? Yeah. None of them would believe he rose from the dead. They think we need we need to get you to a hospital, bro. Like this, it's yeah. not a resurrection situation. And my favorite part of the the swoon theory is that I think it was in the late 1800s. This guy named Charles Strauss he debunked that and said it's just illogical because his disciples would never believe he resurrected. But Strauss wasn't a Christian. He actually is the guy who proposed the hallucination theory. Hmm. So I just think it's ironic that the hallucination theory guy debunked the swoon theory. Uh, it, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, one more <clears throat> that's kind of prominent now is what we call like the legend hypothesis that um, Jesus was a regular guy who existed and taught stuff and, you know, had a following. But all this stuff about him being God and resurrecting is all legendary development, right? That's not what they originally wrote or believed at the time, but after 20, 30, 40 years passes, these stories developed, and that's what got written down. Um, the, the, the real issue with that is when you study the oldest Christian beliefs in the New Testament, um, we can trace the resurrection story back to somewhere between six months the three years after Jesus died. And the way you do that is in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul tells the Corinthians, I gave to you as of first importance what I had also received. And then he quotes um, this, what we would call an early Christian creed. Maybe it was a song, but it was early Christian doctrine. And it's all about the resurrection of Jesus, right? And this is a common passage. He says, um, that uh, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So all New Testament scholars agree this is an early Christian creed that Paul's quoting. It'd be like if I said, you know, uh, Liberty, you know, the, you know this old song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, right? Mm -hmm. You would know I'm I'm quoting something that's older than me because you know the song, you're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. That's what Paul's doing here with the Corinthians. He's telling them, I told you this when I came to you, but this is also doctrine that I received. And so if you trace it back to when and where did Paul get this from, he got it about five or six years after Christ's death when he went to Jerusalem for the first time to meet up with Peter and John. And you remember that story. He goes there and they don't want to meet with him because he's a terrorist, basically. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, Barnabas reaches out to Paul and says, okay, I'll talk with you. And then he takes him to, and, and it's interesting in that passage because it says that all and Peter um, hysterized together. We translate it became acquainted, but the word is historized. They hysterized. Paul's like talking with Peter about, okay, tell me what happened. Yeah. And that's where we believe Paul received this creed. But if Paul received it there, it had to exist prior to him receiving it, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
non-Christian scholars like Gerd Ludemann, John Dominic Crossing, all these guys, they admit that this creed comes from somewhere between six months to three years after Jesus died, which means that we have evidence in 1 Corinthians 15 that the earliest Christians believed Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again, and he appeared to a whole bunch of people. So this isn't legendary development. This is what they were preaching on day one. So the legend hypothesis is just nonsense. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is so interesting to learn about and just um, so neat to learn about all the historical evidence. And we're actually almost out of time, but just in a couple minutes, can you give us a rundown? You've already referenced it. Are there any other historical um, or non-Christian historians or historical evidence outside of scripture that people need to know about that specifically reference Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? Yeah, I mean, so there are, uh, within, within 150 years of the life of Jesus, there are 10 non-Christian sources who mention Jesus. So you have um, Josephus mentions him, Thallus, Tacitus, who's like the greatest Roman historian. Tacitus mentions Jesus, um, Marabar Serapion, Pliny the Younger, uh, the Babylonian Talmud, Suetonius, Lagon, Lucian the Samosota, Celsus. All of these guys mention Jesus and Christians and this movement that's going on. And within these 10 sources, I, I, I just, again, you, people should go read them and, and look at them. But I just compiled um, a few of the facts that these people mention about Jesus and, and his movement. Um, they say uh, Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar, which is great because that's exactly what Luke says, right? So mm-hmm. now we have corroborating evidence that Luke was telling the truth. Um, he lived a virtuous life. Uh, Jesus was a miracle worker. Because remember, the, these people weren't afraid of miracles. They didn't live in a scientific uh, age. So um, they believed in miracles too. Yeah. Um, they believe he had a brother named James. They said that he was acclaimed to be the Messiah. They, they say that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified on the eve of Jewish Passover. They claim that darkness and an earthquake occurred when he died, wow. that his disciples believe he rose from the dead, uh, that his dis- disciples were willing to die for their belief that he rose from the dead, um, that Christianity spread really quickly and it spread as far as Rome, and that his disciples denied the Roman gods, and they worshiped Jesus as God. So those are all facts we learned from non-Christian sources within 150 years of Jesus' life. Um, so again, um, there, there are books written by atheists about the fact that Jesus was a real person, and you can't claim that he's a myth, right. because of all of these historical facts we find within the New Testament, which are historical documents, but also from non-Christian sources uh, talking about him. Wow, so great. That's such a wealth of information. And before we wrap up, I know you said people should read those themselves. What sources would you put pe- point people to if they want to continue exploring everything that we've talked about and really dig in? Yeah, so, so the, the experts on the resurrection um, in our DNA, the apologist who's the expert is uh, Gary Habermas. H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S. So any book he's written on the resurrection, Christians should read. Um, You can go to his website, and he has tons of stuff on it. Um, But his book, The Case for the Resurrection, that he co-wrote with Michael Icona, 
is excellent. And it's kind of a lay level understanding of this stuff. Now, if you want to go like real deep academia, crazy, um, a great book on this is, um, um, the historiographical approach to Jesus resurrection by Michael Lycona. Um, it's huge though. I mean, it's a huge textbook, but he gets in deep to all of this stuff as a historian, how we can know, uh, the events in the past that happened. Um, that's such a great uh, book. Also, um, the resurrection of the son of God by N.T. Wright is a really good book on the resurrection. Great. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing those. And we will link those at knowwhypodcast.com as well. So you can go to knowwhypodcast.com and continue learning all about this. But there's just been so much covered today. We will revisit these kinds of questions again, because there's just so much to talk about. And Robbie, thank you for joining. And I hope to have you on the podcast again in the future as we continue to talk about Jesus and all this evidence. But just thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely, Liberty. Anytime you want me on, I'm willing to be on. Awesome. Well, we'll do it again soon. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Know Why Podcast.